Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. In Luke 13, Jesus is in a synagogue. It is a Saturday. And it starts by saying, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Saturday is the holy day for the Jewish people. It is the day that They gather, back in Jesus' day, they would gather at the synagogue or the temple. And Jesus would go to whichever synagogue was closest as he was moving from town to town. Uh, Jesus went to a synagogue every Saturday because if he did not, that would be a sin. And Jesus Christ did not sin. It is a command in the Old Testament. It is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments that the Jewish people observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, which one way they do that is gather together and praise God. Now, in the synagogue, you had one full-time employee, and that person is known as the ruler of the synagogue. Now, the ruler of the synagogue is like a church administrator we would have today. It would be someone who runs the operation of the church if there wasn't a full-time pastor. And the church administrator would be there every day and they would make sure that things were set up on Sunday. Same for the ruler of the synagogue. If it was a small synagogue, then he would be the only full-time employee. He would live somewhere else and then travel to the synagogue every day For work, if it was a larger synagogue that had a lot of money, then he might have a staff because it would take a lot of preparation work. And things that he did was to make sure that all the candles were lit and all the doors were open on Saturday. They had the Torah was a big scroll that was secured in a cabinet with a lock. He would make sure that it was unlocked and that it was ready for to be marched down the aisle and read from and things of this nature. And if people showed up on Saturday and things were locked or things were in disrepair, then they would come to the ruler of the synagogue and complain. And if he did a bad job, he might be fired. Rulers of the synagogues were usually connected people. It was a political position that if they had donated a lot to this priest or that temple or this work or whatever, they might be given ruler of the synagogue as a reward like like presidents give ambassadorships today, that it is something that is considered a reward sort of position. Now it says that Jesus was teaching. Now you didn't just walk into a synagogue and say, I'm teaching today. The ruler of the synagogue made sure that there were uh, scripture readers lined up, made sure that there were teachers lined up, 
so that when things happened on the Sabbath service, they would run smoothly. And so the ruler of the synagogue, um, we don't know who approached who. The guess is because by Luke 13, Jesus' fame was growing, that the ruler of the synagogue probably approached Jesus and said, would you teach on Saturday? And Jesus said, okay, I'll teach on Saturday. And why did he do that? Because Jesus was also controversial, as we shall see. Uh, some have speculated that it was a, a church growth plan, that uh, the ruler of the synagogue knew how popular Jesus was, and he knew that if he brought Jesus in as a guest speaker, that that would pack the pews in the synagogue and there would be large offerings and it would be a great thing for the growth of the synagogue. And so we don't really know the motives of the uh, ruler of the synagogue. He does turn against Jesus later and he probably should have seen that coming because if he knew who Jesus was, he knew that Jesus liked to mess around with the rules of the Sabbath. Now Jesus is talking, and it says in 11, and behold. Now, and behold means something happened. Something happened that was unexpected. And so what probably happened is Jesus is teaching, and he's probably teaching about the kingdom of God. When Jesus taught, he usually taught about the kingdom of God. Jesus mentioned the kingdom of God 61 times in the Gospels, and so it seems to be his favorite uh, topic of teaching, the kingdom of God and its coming and what it means and how we live as part of the kingdom of God. And while he's teaching, behold, a woman appears. She probably came late to the service, and we say, why? Because she was bent over. Now, the question I have is, how many of you can touch your toes? How many of you can stand up straight and touch your toes? Just think about that for a moment. Now think you're touching your toes and you're holding it that way for 18 years. This woman, when it says bent over, the word bent over means doubled, means folded in half. And so she... As, a, as an example, was someone who touches their toes and they're, they're, total, you know, they're basically folded in half and cannot, cannot get up. And so you figure, imagine yourself touching your toes and walking down the street. It's difficult. Imagine touching your toes and sitting down for dinner. It's difficult. Feeding yourself. It's difficult. And this is caused because of a spirit. We do not know what the Spirit is about. The Spirit is only mentioned as the cause for this debilitating disease. Now, Jesus probably knew this. The guests of the people around were probably that she had sinned, that this was a curse of God, that she had done some sort of sin, and God had bent her over and folded her in half as a punishment for her very sinful life. That was the view of the Jewish people at that time and some people today when they see somebody debilitated by some disease or something, 
Some people will say, well, they must have done something, that this is God poking them, punishing them because of their great sin. Jesus understands, though, that it's a debilitating uh, spirit, so he knew this, so he probably said this, that's how it got in Scripture. I don't think the Pharisees and the ruler of the synagogue had that level of understanding, and it is understood that it had been for 18 years. Now, Jesus knows everything about this woman, knows that it has been for 18 years. Um, we don't know if she was well known in the synagogue, that people were counting down the years of how long she had had this, but people have tried, and they have tried to probably straighten her out. I wouldn't be surprised if Years ago, in the 18 years, they took, you know, five or six strong men and tried to straighten her up just to see if they could. And, you know, the pain and wasn't allowed to do it. And so Jesus sees her. She's hobbling into the synagogue and Jesus sees her. She does not say anything to Jesus. She does not address Jesus. She is probably a fixture in the town. And Jesus calls her over and says, come here. Now, Jesus knows it's a spirit, but he doesn't rebuke the spirit. He doesn't address the spirit. He doesn't have an exchange with the spirit as he does in other exorcisms. Instead, he simply says the words, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately, she straightened up. She got up, and she was straight as a board. She had great posture, and everything was wonderful. And she began to glorify God. Now, when you look at passages like this, and you see somebody relating to God, uh, you have to ask the question, is this, is this saving faith? Has she figured out who Jesus is, and is she saved? And at this point... She is just surprised and she is glorifying God as a Jewish woman would glorify God. Now, it says at the beginning that this was uh, on the Sabbath. Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And immediately, and you look in verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, the person who hired Jesus to come talk, became indignant Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the people, not to Jesus, he said to the people, uh, there are six days to which work ought to be done, just true, come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. And this raises an interesting question about what, Is the Sabbath law and did Jesus sin? Now, according to the ruler of the synagogue, he would call Jesus a flagrant sinner, violator of the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, violator of most of the Old Testament. Jesus is a sinner. Okay, that is the accusation. And so we have to look at that. Jesus is sinning and my salvation is lost. Jesus has to be sinless for the cross to work. Remember that? Jesus has to have no sin. And so he's being accused of violating one of the big ones. And remember, he doesn't talk to Jesus. 
He just talks to the people. Now Jesus responds. And he says, you're a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? Hypocrite is a Greek word. It comes from the Greek theater. A hypocrite is a mask wearer. In the Greek theater, they wouldn't use makeup and things of this nature to uh, denote sadness or evil or joy. They would actually wear masks. And if somebody was an actor, was having a joyous time, he would put over his face a smiling mask. And that style of acting was known as hypocrisy, mask wearing. And that's no, you know, you go back before Jesus, you go back during Alexander the Great, and hypocrisy was well known as something that happened in the theater. Now what Jesus is saying and what this word has come to know today is that if you say one thing, especially to this group of people, you have this group of friends over here and you say one thing to them, you act one way over here, and then you have this other group of friends over here and you say something different, you act a different way. What uh, we what I was taught when I was growing up in church is that I needed to not act one way at school and a different way at church. I needed to be a Christian at school and at home and at church and act the same way. That's also known as integrity. You have integrity if you are the same everywhere. But if I am talking to these people and basically telling them a lie of who I am or what I believe. And over here I'm saying something different about what I know and what I believe. Then I am also a hypocrite. I am wearing a mask to one group or another or perhaps all groups. And so Jesus is calling this person a hypocrite. And what is hypocrisy about it? Well, first and foremost... This guy hired Jesus. This guy knew who Jesus was. This guy knew what he was getting into, and he probably wanted to use Jesus as a, as a, a banner of attendance. If he wanted to increase attendance because Jesus is here, but he wanted Jesus to obey his rules. And when Jesus does what Jesus always does... He has healed many, many times on a Sabbath up to this point. This ruler of the synagogue knows who Jesus is, and yet he brings him in. And then, ah, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. But Jesus says other things. He says, he says, you have an ox and you have a donkey. Now, your ox and your donkey need to drink water, need to drink water every day. And so on a Saturday, you will leave the synagogue, ruler of the synagogue. He will leave and he will go to his farm and he will find his ox and he will find his donkey and he will untie them and take them across town to the stream, to the brook, to the river, someplace to drink, someplace where there is water. If he does not do that, there's a possibility that the ox and the donkey will get sick and even die of thirst because if they don't, animals have metabolisms and they need water. 
And so he's saying, you do that. And they do do that. And he says, so you're going to do a level of work to keep your donkey and your ox alive and happy. Here is a woman, in verse 16, who's a daughter of Abraham. So he's putting and saying, this woman is one of you. This woman has value. This woman is part of the descendants of God's chosen people. This woman is loved by God. This woman is understood by God of what's going on. And she is more valuable than an ox or a donkey. And so shouldn't she have her bonds loosed on Sabbath day? Now, one question we have to ask is, what are the Sabbath rules? Who's right here? Jesus or the ruler of the, Pharise- of the synagogue? Because we know how the Bible's written. We know that Jesus is right. But why is Jesus right? If you go back to before the flood, everybody just worked. And they worked and they worked and they worked. There was no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Okay? The only way that they knew how to mark time back then was that the moon, the moon has approximately a 28-day cycle. And so they call those the months, that every time the moon goes around, that is the movement of a month. And so they counted, I think, 14 originally. Back then, months... You also have the sun rising and setting. We'll call that a day. And you have the uh, Earth's trip around the sun, which they didn't know what it was, but that's a year. So you have days, months, and years. By looking at the stars, by looking at the seasons, by looking at the weather, you can figure out those three things. There's nothing in nature to give us a week. That doesn't exist. You can't, look at, you can't look at the stars. You can't look at the animals. You can't look at anything. There's nothing in nature that has a seven-day cycle. Okay? And so when you, prior to the flood, after the flood, uh, all the way up until Mount Sinai, everybody in the world worked on a monthly schedule. They got breaks around every harvest. They got breaks around every planting. They got basically four breaks a year at the solstices and your autumn and your... What we have on June 21st and we have September 21st and those things, they had those breaks. And so there were long spaces between them. God talks to Moses. Moses is on the mountain and he says... You now have a seven-day week. Where do we get the seven-day week? We get the seven-day week from creation. God created for six days. He rested on the seventh. So there's a block of seven invented by God. And so Moses says that example from creation is going to be yours. And so for the first time in the history of the world, they got a weekend. They got a Saturday. They worked six days and got one day off, and then worked six days and got one day off, and that one day off was Saturday, 
They got an off because that's the day that, G, that God got off. And the rule is very simple. No work. No work on that seventh day. People ask the question, what's work? And they said, look at what you're doing for the first six days. Don't do any of that on the seventh day and you're good. It is a day of rest. The tabernacle was invented during that time. And on, that, on Saturday, you would come to the tabernacle and worship God. And so the priests and the Levites and the Pharisees and everybody over the thousands of years said, well, we have to define what work is because people are confused, because people can't figure things out. And so they started a long list. And they said, one of the things you can't do on Saturday is you can't be a doctor. Okay? Doctors would set broken uh, bones. They would help upset stomachs. They would stop bleeding. They would do all manner of things that doctors would do back in the time of Moses, back in the time of Jesus. Okay? And they would say... You can only do life-saving stuff. You, if somebody has a broken leg, you fix it on, on Sunday, okay? The first day of the week. Uh, why do we have Sunday off, by the way? We have Sunday off because the Christians, after Jesus rose from the dead, he rose from the dead on Sunday. And so the Christians said, that's our holy day. And so because of the Jewish people and because of the Christians, we have a two-day weekend. Therefore, if you are not religious, if you don't believe in God, you should work seven days a week and not get any breaks because Saturday and Sunday are religious holidays. They are religious observances. But people take the weekend off anyway. So the people who were in charge of the law, made this long list of all the stuff you can't do. And what they're doing to Jesus many times is they're saying, healing this back problem, this bent over problem, is like setting a broken leg. It can be done on Friday. It can be done on Sunday, but not on Saturday. And what Jesus is saying is that kindness, compassion, is what Sabbath is all about. It's what we do on the Sabbath. We do kindness and compassion. And even though the ruler of the Pharisees, didn't, uh, ruler of the synagogue, did not understand the power of Jesus, we could definitely say Jesus didn't work. This was not work. Jesus did not break a sweat. Jesus did not, this wasn't hard for Jesus to do. It was, he said some words and he laid some hands on her and boom, she was fixed. And so the ruler of the synagogue is just saying, you have to confine yourself to our made-up rules. 613 rules are found in the Bible about 3,200 were added in the, uh, the extra, the commentary code, and then the oral tradition that the Pharisees were running under. And so it's a lot. 
and it isn't what God intended. If you go through Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus, where it talks about the Sabbath, you cannot find anything that Jesus did as being forbidden. Okay? So Jesus is saying, what God said to Moses is fine. You've added a bunch of stuff. And because you've added a bunch of stuff, uh, I can do this. You're wrong. And then it says, as he said these things, all his advisors were put to shame. He shamed them. They saw the error of their ways. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him. So the people who were against Jesus were shown, their, they understood the error of their ways. They were ashamed. They couldn't look Jesus in the eye. They were, you know, put down. They were uh, show, you know, shown their evil ways. And the people looking at Jesus and looking at the ruler of the Pharisee decide to follow Jesus and praise God in all the great things that are doing this woman is probably jumping up as high as she can now and running around because all the stuff she couldn't do for 18 years and everybody's looking at it and saying what a great and wonderful thing this is. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you for this miracle and I just pray that we will not be a people of rules, but we will be a people who follows you, that we will be people who look in the Bible to find what it says and not the traditions of people. Lord, we thank you for this lesson and we thank you for this woman. And I just pray that she did come to saving faith and that we will see her in heaven and we can hear her story. Lord, we thank you for all these things and ask your blessing on this time. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.